Uh, welcome again to our all-hands meeting for this spring semester for 2016 for the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources. Glad to see so many of you here this afternoon. I was kidding Ron Yoder just as uh, we were getting ready to start. Ten minutes ago, this room was completely empty. <laughs> so either people are figuring out my schedule and the way I work, at expecting it to start about ten minutes late or, or, um, or what. But glad to see you all here in the East Union and I know we have a number of our colleagues joining us online as we always do to, to live stream these uh, presentations and uh, folks from across the state we know are joining us as well so thank you for being here and for participating in the dialogue. Now what I have a goal of doing this afternoon and I'm watching the, the clock directly in front of me, Jill Brown has a bet with me whether I can get this done or not, and I'm going to win this bet, that I hope to be done in less than an hour so that we have the opportunity to have some dialogue and some questions at the end of the time uh, this afternoon. I am going to take a little different approach to the all-hands presentation that we've been using for the last several. Uh, you'll, you'll recall that when we started these, now some I guess 11 times ago, this is our 11th one, first one in January of 2011, that we were at the very front end of what we then termed INR to 2025. This idea and this concept and this kind of big goal thinking of where the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources should be for the University of Nebraska and a little bit about how we would go about getting there. That was a 15-year plan. So as you see on the slide in front of you today, what I'm going to try to do in the next 45 minutes is to first capture for you where I think we've been in the last five years. What's magical about this is I, was, I went through my five-year review as part of the normal administrative process for the university this past fall. So I did a lot of thinking about that during that five-year review time, and it also gave me a chance to think about where we really were in this 15-year journey of 2025, of INR to 2025. So there's two distinct sections we'll cover this afternoon. That past five-year period, what the big picture has told us, where we've come in that last five-year period, and in it, more importantly, I wanna peer into the next five, and I wanna think about what the next five years of this journey will need to look like for us to achieve that INR to 2025 plan that we laid out five years ago. So that's where we're headed this afternoon. Uh, and again, we hope to have time for a lot of dialogue at the end. I'm boiling down about an hour of slides into this slide. Because you've all kind of heard us talk a lot about what this slide says and why it's so important that our mission be that at this point in time, at this point in time in the university's history, this point in time of the way you look at the globe, you look at the world around us, both present and into the future, that there has never been a time that what we do is more important. Whether you think of whatever cut of that you fall into, whether it's the agricultural sciences side, the food sciences side, the environmental sciences side, the natural resources side, the human sciences side, what we do has never been more important in our history, certainly, 
and I predict it will be that way for some decades to come when we look at what's out ahead of us. And there's a, a new piece of that that I added to this slide that you see in red. It's particularly important for Nebraska. And it's particularly important for where we are as an institution and where our state is, uh, tied to the future and the longevity and the sustainability of these systems that we're so uh, key and a part of. So that's the big picture that we started from in 2025, if you will. We changed a word or two here and there along the way, but that's still the journey that we're on, is framed by that big, important, all-encompassing statement. Now, what have we done in the last five years? Now, I'm obviously cherry-picking here, so it's not meant to be all-inclusive, but hopefully to give you the big picture of where we find ourselves in 2016, five years into this journey. First thing I will tell you is that we have an immensely talented group of people. There are almost 2,000 people, this number fluctuates up and down a bit, but there are almost 2,000 people that are engaged in this institute. Not all of those full-time, about 1,650 or 60 of those are full-time employees. The rest are part-time in some way, shape, or form. Employees that make up our workforce and I'm very proud of the fact of, of, of how they're distributed, where they are in the state, how many of them are on the campus, how many of them are faculty, how many of them are non-faculty, the distribution, if you will, of that workforce that makes up who we are at INR. And as you know, that number's been growing, continues to grow, and you'll see a lot of the detail behind what that growth has been over that last five years. As I have done in the last Oh, probably majority of these all-hands sessions, I'm going to frame where we've been in the last five years within the context of the university's goals. These are the, the long-term goals, if you think of five years kind of being a long-term time horizon of the goals of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. As a campus, they continue to be our goals, and I will still, I will say, as I've been saying, I'll still say it for some time to come, that I think that the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources has led the university and led the campus in all of these goals, in every single one of them as you go down through the picture. So you know the goals well. I showed you these data in the fall, beginning of the fall semester, where our enrollment goal has certainly clipped along at the stage that we would like to see it clip along. I'm going to give you some greater challenges associated with that when we look out at the next five years. But we, we can't um, not be very happy about the fact that in Kasner we've seen now 12 years of growth in our student population. And that growth's been very widespread across the college. It's not been in one spot or two spots. It's been pretty universally widespread across the college. We saw during that same time, year, time period of 12 years significant growth in our partner in CEHS in their undergraduate and graduate programs as well. So this enrollment growth has been a big deal for us. I'm often asked by a lot of folks on the external side of the university in particular, how we've been able to finance, if you will, much of the growth that we've experienced in faculty. I will tell you that the biggest single driver of that is this slide, is the enrollment growth piece of that picture because we're able to capitalize on that enrollment growth and, uh, and put it back into more people and more programs. 
I showed you these data in the fall that show that our current student population in Kasner is about 75% resident Nebraska students, about 25% roughly non-resident students, broken out into international and domestic as you see there on the slide. And remember these numbers because I'll come back to them in the next five years and talk about where I see that growth needing to be out in the five years ahead of us. I also showed you this slide that reflects over that longer time horizon, going back to 2003, the percentage of the student body at UNL made up of students studying in Kasner, all-inclusive, undergrad and graduate student, professional students uh, collectively, that increased from between eight and nine percent uh, 13 years ago up to this past fall where we were now bumping 14 percent of the student population at UNL. So that tells the story in and of itself relative to that growth continuing to be a bigger part of the university. And I will tell you, give you a little glimpse into this next five year period, I think that we need to hold that number potentially at 15%. So to be where we should be five years from now, whatever the university's enrollment is, that our program should represent a minimum of 15% of that enrollment. So there's some continued growth that we'll expect to see. NCTA has seen significant growth. I also showed this number to you, our colleagues out in Curtis, in the western part of the state, in the two-year program. Much of that growth occurring not in resident students on the campus, but occurring in terms of dual credit enrollment students in high schools spread throughout the state. So continued enrollment there in the two-year program. That second goal in terms of graduation rates and what we would like to see in graduation rates our current cohort at about 75% of the students who start as first-time freshmen here at the university graduated in six years from the university, from UNL. So we would continue to like to see that, that rate go up. The more important number there to me is the placement rate of our students, which continually exceeds over 90% at the day of graduation, which is true largely nationally. You'll hear that same statistic across a lot of programs agriculturally across the country uh, in an area that I think we really excel in and very proud of. On the research side, big growth in research. This just reflects three years of data from 12 through 14. The 15 year numbers are not uh, closed. The books aren't closed on FY15 yet, but I can tell you roughly what they are. Uh, this I showed you in the fall. If you add 15 numbers to that, sponsored activity in the Institute was a little under $55 million in external support. And proportionally, the research expenditures we expect to be in the 135 to 137 million range when they're closed. Putting that on a per, per faculty FTE basis, you can see the progression there between 13 and 14 in particular. We will see another big jump between 14 and 15. When we look at current fiscal year data, we're now six months into FY16. We're tracking to be above FY15 again in terms of sponsored research in particular, and we'll expect to see those numbers continue to go up. I showed you this graphic in the fall, and I think it tells the story very well. When you invest in people, you begin to see the results of that investment. And I think we've only just begun to see the results of that investment. 
So on the left-hand side is the Institute, followed by the Colleges of Arts and Sciences, Engineering, Education, and Human Sciences, and then kind of a smattering of the rest of the campus through the right-hand side of the graphic. And you can see over that last five years of time, the collective growth in research funding for INR, which we're very proud of. And you'll also see that a big increased part of that is the red portion of that bar that is foundational support, philanthropic and foundational support. So the bottom baseline is federal, followed by foundation, followed by other support, including industry support, followed by state, some state dollars in the top part of that graphic. So that trend is very good. We expect to continue to see that trend go up and we're very proud of that. You all know about the faculty growth that we've experienced and the number of new people that we've been able to bring on board. This is in tenure track faculty. I'll show you some data on non-tenure track faculty here in a few minutes. But if from a tenure track faculty side, we've been very, very blessed to be able to bring on the number of people that we have been able to add to our faculty ranks. We showed you these data in the fall. They haven't changed significantly since then. But when we're done with this fiscal year and the searches that we have under, underway currently or are starting at the present, we should be up by just over 27% in our tenure track faculty numbers by the end of that hiring process. Trust me, when I go and I visit with my colleagues at other institutions, I just was in a meeting last week in Tucson, Arizona, the Farm Foundation, several of my colleagues from around the country at other land grants were there. And one of them, I won't say where he's from, except it's a state that Chicago's in. So it's, <laughs> yeah, one of them said to me, there's this giant sucking sound of everything going to Nebraska. I'm very happy, I, you know, I don't mean that to sound bad. I mean that to be a really positive statement in that we're, we've been very fortunate to hire the people that we've been able to hire. We're not gonna be able to continue to do that at that rate, I think we all recognize that. But we've been very, very fortunate to be able to bring this, this talent on board. And I want to just put an underline under another part of this that is equally important to number. Quality is certainly a, a word that is somewhat subjective, but we have paid a lot of attention to quality in this process of the kind of people that we've hired the kind of backgrounds that they bring to our, to our institute, where they bring that background from. And we've also, not intentionally so, but we've been able to manage to increase the diversity of our faculty in that process. And I'm very pleased about that. Here's some data that reflect that. You've not seen these numbers before, but some data that reflect both for tenure line faculty, so this growth piece that I just showed you, this 27% increase in tenure track faculty that will be through when we're done. We're about, you see about two thirds, three fourths of that there in the bottom of 17.4% increase since 11, and as well as non-tenure track faculty on the right. So professors of practice, research professors on non-tenure positions. And I wanna draw your attention to just a couple of statistics here. So if you look on the left-hand side of the, the slide at the gender ratio, and at the diversity of faculty, you'll see gains in both of those over that period of time in tenure track faculty. This number is the percentage, uh, the percentages of each category, and this number is the percentage increase in the overall number uh, in magnitude, if you will, 
for that category. And I'm very pleased to see that we're increasing the number of women faculty in our scientific ranks, and we're increasing the diversity of our faculty in a way that I think is very important for us long-term to reflect the greater population that we serve. Non-tenure track faculty, less dramatic, but again, some changes and increase in that demographic as well when you look at our professors of practice and our research uh, professors. Innovation Campus, another one of those goals. This has obviously been a very big year for Innovation Campus as we populated that campus now uh, for the first time, if you will, academically and in partnership basis. Still a lot of work to do there yet, but we've made huge progress in the last nine, nine to 12 months. So this is what the campus looked like uh, back late in the summer as we were preparing for that big launch that we had. 380,000 square feet involved in that phase one of the footprint for the campus. The new food science or food innovation center is now occupied by our Department of Food Science and Technology. Went very well as a general move to that facility, both from the, the, the actual physical move as well as the, the integration, if you will, of the academic program into that facility for the fall, fall term. So amazing facility if you've not seen it. We think it's the best facility of its kind in the world, and we expect to see great things come from that uh, and use of it long-term with our partners. You've seen this slide before. The big relationship that we have there at the moment is the Alliance for Advanced Food Sanitation and the development of that alliance centered around these initial eight partners that are part of that in helping us to develop new ways to approach food manufacturing from a sanitation side of the food safety piece of that uh, industry. So we're excited about that. A search is currently underway for the director of that alliance uh, to, to kick it off as we move fully into the center. The Greenhouse Innovation Center is being burnt in as we speak. You know, this is a long process. I'm not going to tell you that we immediately have this center working and that tomorrow we're cranking the research results out of that. It's a much, uh, much more complex process than that and the team of faculty with ARD that have been working on that continue to make progress in having that facility up full scale and running. This is the list of current partners at Innovation Campus as of the ones we can announce today. There are another four or five major ones that we're far advanced in the development of that we'll probably add in the next three to four months of time. So you can kind of see this big picture here is growing. There are 13, if I think I counted it correctly, partners that are non-university related entities that make up part of those partnerships. And if you had looked at that a year ago, we would have had three. So we're very pleased about how that progress continues. I expect in the next month, we'll add two more major ones to this list that keep us very excited and, and up at night uh, thinking about it. The institutes that have developed. So over this five year period, we have stood up the Water for Food Institute to its first five years of history. They just celebrated just before the holidays, a five year birthday cake celebration reception at Innovation Campus. You see that picture there in the lower right. Um, has made huge progress in the first development of a system-wide institute for the university, if you will, around an important topic like this one for us. 
where some of you are aware we're in the process of hiring. The second executive director, Roberto Lenton, will be stepping down out of that position uh, by his choice. Um, as soon as we get that new person in place and we're, we're in the final stages of making that decision. The Rural Futures Institute won a couple years later in development behind Water for Food, but on this rural security side, if you will. So the standing up of these, these two big system-wide institutes has been a big part of that last five years that, of course, the Institute uh, of Ag and Natural Resources is tightly tied to. The foundation, philanthropically. Now, I mentioned in the research side that we had increased the expenditures coming from private support or based upon private support when you saw that graph. There's a tremendous amount more that has been behind our increase in philanthropy during that five years. Roughly $140 million donated to the Institute in some shape or form over that period of time. That is a huge number. I don't know if you understand how big that number is when you think about where we're coming from. Some of those are big gifts. You know, you have the $50 million Dougherty gift in Water for Food. You have the $20 million gift in Engler in that group, but there are a lot of other gifts beyond those that make up that total of 140 million. You'll see some new faces on this slide. Uh, Ann Brunts, who you have all known for a long time. Ann's been our, our development director at the University of Nebraska Foundation for uh, the last number of years. Ann is retiring this year. Uh, she tells me it's March. I'm guessing it will be somewhere in that time frame, but she's, she is retiring after a long amount of service to the Institute. I would like to get you to give her a round of applause. She's not here today, but give her a round of applause because she's been a big part of that $140 million. <clears throat> Josh Egley came on a couple of years ago now to join Ann in our efforts for INR. He has now been promoted to the Senior Development Director for uh, the foundation for INR, and he was given the opportunity to hire immediately two new development directors to work with him and a third to come in the next year. So you can kind of begin to see the growth now and support, if you will, at the foundation for growing that private giving of the university around the Institute as well. Uh, Craig Bisher, I saw Craig come in. Craig is one of our two new development directors. Many of you know Craig. Uh, long history here in agriculture in the state of Nebraska. And Kristen Hassebrook, is Kristen here? Yeah, Craig, why don't you stand up so everybody can see you. Craig Bisher will welcome. And <laughs> Kristen Hassebrook, who comes to us from the Nebraska Cattlemen most recently. Uh, Kristen has a background in law, uh, is a graduate of our, our College of Law here, and was representing the Cattlemen in terms of legislative affairs relative to environment in uh, particular. Uh, in that most recent position. So we're very pleased to have them joining us. We've talked a lot about these endowed chairs and the importance of endowed chairs moving forward. We set the goal of having 25 of them by 2025. We're at 13 currently. I highlighted the red ones there that are the ones that we will be filling that don't have a person in them at this point or it will be a change in the water for food case with uh, Dr. Lenton. So those are ones that are currently in play in the immediate near term ahead of us, and we have a number that we, we hope to add. Facility improvements. I've summarized these a lot for you in the last couple of all hands meetings. Rolls up to a total of $382 million across the state. 
A lot of that here on campus, a lot of that at Innovation Campus that makes up those, those totals, if you will, of the facilities improvements. You know, I, I've been joking with folks that the cranes were heavy downtown for a long time. We're going to see the cranes heavy out here for a while, which is a really cool thing to experience and to be able to see that kind of transformation that will be happening to our campus that's already started with the two major building projects that are underway. The Hearman Lecture was an addition in the last five years. This is a personally one I'm very happy about, uh, both because of the support that the Hearman family has provided to, to make that lecture happen, as well as the community gathering that it does for us in the Institute. That was one of our 2025 pints, talking about how do we pull the community of the Institute together. And this was the way we've done that. The next one we have tomorrow night with Clayton Yider and Darcy Vetter, uh, focused on trade, in particular the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement that's currently part of the political landscape out there that has a lot of implications for agriculture. And we haven't announced it, but we will tomorrow night. The other Hearman lecturer will be April the 26th, jointly with the Water for Food Conference, and it will be Dr. Sally Rocky, who some of you met when she was a candidate uh, for the presidency position here last year formerly the head of extramural programs for NIH, and is now the executive director of the Foundation for Food and Ag Research that was stood up by the, uh, the Farm Bill this past year. So we'll be very excited to have Sal Sally joining us in April. Extension, last five years, a lot of change in extension. Probably the most visible change is the one that's occurring currently. I think you'll agree with me, Dean Hibbert, on that related to the development of issue teams and the thinking about how to do that, you know, operationalize those issue teams, which I know is kind of where Extension is currently in developing those. A lot of background went into, as we talked about in the fall, that the idea of these issues teams, a lot of feedback externally to help us think about that. Uh, and as you can see, uh, we're rapidly on our way to the operationalization, oper however you say that word, operationalizing those issue teams this spring. Extension has continued its strong presence in youth development. I don't have a slide in here specifically for 4-H, but we continue to be one of the leading 4-H states in the country. And we also have added this kind of element of things like Raising Nebraska, that is an element for not just 4-H students, but for youth across the state and for adults across the state relative to agriculture uh, at the State Fair and the use of that facility. Uh, you'll remember a year ago, that exhibit in its first year was awarded a big international award in fairs and exhibitions for agriculture in particular. This year it received a second award, just in the, the last few months of the fall, uh, for the outdoor portion of that exhibit that was developed and opened in the shape of the state of Nebraska. A lot of our faculty were involved in the design and planning and development of that. That was part of the State Fair this past year. You can see that um, picture of that in the top right of the slide. Science literacy was an important part of that 2025 process. We've come a long way in the operationalizing the faculty in that group as one of the six emphasis areas that we've hired new faculty into, and uh, quite pleased about where we sit uh, on that effort as well. 
We also have become quite active nationally in the STEM effort. You'll see a picture here relative again to the fair and exhibit of, at the fair from this group this past year in STEM for food and ag in particular. And we're now an integral part of the Ag, STEM and Food Council for the at the national level that the university is one of just a few universities that are helping to lead that group. And then lastly, global engagement. This, this has multiple frames to it. I think oftentimes when I talk to people across the campus, not, not just in INR, but across the UNL campus generally, oftentimes people conflate international engagement with study abroad. And that's the way they think of what we say when we say international engagement. That's where it kind of stops for them. We're talking about global engagement at a comprehensive level here. We're talking about study abroad as an important part of global engagement. We're talking about international student development here as an important part of global engagement. And we're certainly talking about research and engagement outside of the student experience as well, of our university and of our faculty. And oh, by the way, we've begun talking about internationalization of extension and where extension will fit into these efforts. So we've been very pleased about how these have developed. Many of these things on this map are centered around the Water for Food Institute, I'll be very honest about that, as well as in early childhood that we'll talk about uh, here in a few minutes. So there's these big new relationships that are, that are broad in terms of the research and their engagement and how we go about doing that. Uh, Things we highlighted in the fall, and I'll come back and talk about in the last half of the talk, uh, more in the next five years, particularly development of, of uh, partnership degree programs, two plus twos or three plus ones. I'll define that a little bit better for you here relative to food science in talking about the next five years. And the start of a big new program around Rwanda. And I'll come back as well and talk about relative to the next five years. So this is a little different mindset than we've had before, and we're trying to really operationalize it at a high level. Research growth, I'm not going to go into these in depth, and this isn't an all-inclusive list. There's probably some people that will look at this and say, where am I on this list? It's not an all-inclusive list. But we have invested significantly in research infrastructure in the last five years. We have a lot of investment left to do in research infrastructure in the next five but we've tried to strategically think about where we need to make these dollars work, where the biggest opportunities are, and we're going to continue doing that in terms of investing in the future, uh, as you'll see in some of the later slides. Now to kind of bridge to talking about the next five years, I've got two slides in here that are meant to convey a message, so I'm gonna to try to paint the message for you and then let you look at the slides. One of the things that I've always respected about the University of Nebraska, I respected it before I became a graduate student here. I respected it when I was a graduate student here. And I've respected it in the years since, is that we are a balanced institution. That we have a three-part mission as a land-grant university that is balanced between instruction and teaching both at the graduate and undergraduate levels, and balance there. In terms of research, both basic and applied, and in terms of outreach and engagement of what we do. 
not only in the state of Nebraska, but even beyond the state of Nebraska. And that balance is not only in the tripart mission, it's also across the fields that are important to us. You know, I know we often kind of get in, in pulls and tugs about whether this program's getting more funding than that program's getting or whether priorities are, are perfectly matched or not. But this is a really balanced place and I'm really proud of that. And that's something we have to make sure we keep that balance in as we move forward because there are a lot of drivers out there that might drive us to not keep that balance or to go too far in one direction or too far in another. And hopefully this collage of a couple pages of pictures shows you a little bit of that. You know, both disciplinary balance, both mission balance, both types of research and engagement balance that we do. Um, moving into this next five years, I would say that that's an area that we want to make sure we pay attention to and we keep focus on as well. But I'm very proud of that. And I think you hear that from people about the University of Nebraska. When you go out and you talk to peer institutions, that's one of the things that they see as a hallmark of this institution that we should be very proud of. Okay, so great last five years behind us. Now I want to spend the next 20 or 25 minutes giving you some thoughts about where I think our challenges will be in the next five. And remember that we're talking about 15 years here. So we finished five, these are the next five we're going to talk about, and there are five beyond that in the 2025 plan, if you will, that lies ahead of us. Enrollment. We talked about how significant enrollment increases have been for us, how, how successful we have been in this part of the university in enrollment growth, driven all by the right reasons. These are the, some of the numbers that I think we need to pay attention to. If we are a 30,000 student campus at UNL in some year in the future, and 15% of that is us, remember that metric I've mentioned to you before, it, uh, some mathematicians in here, you know, that's about 4,500 students. We're at about 3,500 students today when you roll the program together. So there's growth opportunity of about 1,000 students there that I believe is real, is viable, can be done, and can be supported if we are smart in how we do that. So in the next five years, I'd like to see us increase our undergraduate enrollment by five to 600 additional students beyond where we are today. I talked in the fall about one of my pet peeves at the university currently, and I'm finding this out across the campus, it's not a pet peeve on any one part of the campus, is that we have not emphasized graduate student recruitment enough. And we have not emphasized increase in graduate student recruitment enough. The discussion's been too much a generic 5,000 students and not enough about who those 5,000 students are, what they're going to be made up of, where they need to be, where the greatest needs are. And in my mind, graduate students have to be a significant part of that, and we've got to start figuring out how to resource that in order to help make that happen. So you see a number of a couple of hundred additional graduate students over the 680 that we have today, 660, excuse me, that we have today, and I think that's a significant goal for us. I think we also need to reflect that we should increase our non-resident enrollment. And this isn't meant as a, this is not a business practice point. 
This is a student population point. So this isn't saying I think we need to have 10% more non-resident students because they bring more dollars to the university. That's not what I'm, what I'm suggesting here. I'm suggesting that we need about 10% more non-resident students for the demographic of our student population to be more optimized than where it is today for our students as well as for the university in order to make up that right mix. And you can see some of that is from international students, some of that is from non-international or domestic students, and you can see where I'd like to see those numbers go. I showed you this slide in the fall relative to the graduate student numbers. These are our actual numbers in various graduate programs in CASNR currently. I don't have those that would be in our, our partner programs in CEHS included there, but we do have a number of those uh, in the institute that work with graduate students that impact our programs. So it, just in simple math in CASNR, a couple of hundred students is not an unrealistic goal here. As long as we figure out the financial model for how to help and make that happen. Graduation rates, you saw this number earlier, I'm not changing it, 75 to 82% is where we need to head. So that's a, uh, not an insignificant increase in six-year graduation rates from our campus. We have to look at every opportunity for how we can do that, including what the obstacles are to our students being able to matriculate in less than six years of time, preferably in four years of time. And we need to look internally at ourselves in CASNR as well as the rest of the university and how we go about increasing that number. Faculty success. We have hired, as I said, a tremendous cohort of new faculty. And we will continue with the remainder of those new faculty that we're bringing in through the next year as well as as we have new faculty come on board over the next five years, obviously from those who retire or leave us in positions that come open over the years out ahead of us. We have to be assured that we are successful with those new faculty. And the one thing that I worry about more than any other single thing is that we have tried to bring in new faculty, hire them into emphasis areas. Remember the five that became six emphasis priority areas for the Institute. And we're wanting them to work as teams in a culture that isn't always perfectly designed for that to happen. And I, we all know that. The academy is not perfectly designed to allow you to finger yourselves out, you know, your network out beyond your discipline uh, directly. So that's an area we have to pay careful attention to, including whether we need to think about that in our P&T evaluation system and whether that's properly recognized and rewarded and supported for these new faculty that we have hired. Endowed chairs, we have 13, I'd like to go to 25. I think we should get at least halfway there in the next five years, if not more. And while the emphasis in the previous endowed chairs has been mostly in the food area, mostly in the plant sciences area, the next big wave of these positions needs to be in the all things spoken animal world. Whether that's grassland studies, that's whether that's animal science, whether that's vet science, whether that's natural resources and environmental sciences. So those are the areas that likely will receive that next emphasis in these next five years. Faculty success and recognition. Remember one of those UNL goals is to increase the stature and recognition of our faculty that make up the university. 
Two of the three members of the National Academy of Sciences who are on our faculty are I and our faculty members. Both of them happen to be in the audience here today. I saw both of them walk in. We need to have five, at least five, members of the National Academy of Sciences. That is a big hill to climb, to get from one to two is a big hill to climb. To get from two to three or three to five is a huge hill to climb, considering most of those members of the academy are very accomplished senior late members of their career. Uh, the, the, the three I should tell you who are here, Jim Van Etten is here, Brian Larkins is here today, and Joe Francisco, our Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, is the most recent addition to, the, to our members of the National Academy when he joined us a little over a year, going on two years ago. So that's a big goal. I was extremely pleased, as you saw the press earlier this fall, about AAAS, where we had eight new AAAS fellows to be inducted this year. That adds to the 18 that Nebraska had before that time. So you can see the big jump, if you will, in one given year. That's across all of the system, Med Center, all of the campuses, the University of Nebraska collectively. And a big chunk of those, 11 of those, are members of the faculty of INR. Big chunk of the members of the of uh, AAAS fellows. So increasing the stature of our faculty is, is also equally important. Increasing research expenditures by 50%. If we were at 125 million in 2014, well, I think like I said before, we'll be at 136, 137. Uh, this year when we close the books in 2015, uh, you can do the math, that's a significant number. I don't think that's an unrealistic number. I think we're going to see that organically happen as the faculty that we have in place are going to increase those research expenditures. And it's going to be not in all of just the key areas that we've talked about traditionally. It'll be in a broad range of areas, I predict, um, as we look forward. Leveraging the institutes, there are now four of these institutes system-wide. The Buffett Early Childhood Institute, the Water for Food Institute, the Rural Futures Institute, and the National Strategic Research Institute. Uh, the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources needs to be a key part of all of those. We obviously are already the underpinning for two of these very heavily. Buffett Early Childhood, you see the picture of Dean Kostelnik there in the fall, announcing a big uh, elevation, if you will, of early childhood at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And they're a key part of the Buffett Early Childhood Institute, the leader of that institute, I would say, currently. We need to continue building that program. And then NSRI, which is this defense-related, Department of Defense-related, related to the UARC that we started at the university system a couple of years ago, is one that really is still just getting off the ground. I'm spending the run of the day tomorrow at STRATCOM, visiting with the leadership at STRATCOM, with our leadership from the university, about how we continue to build this out. And as you think about what they want us to focus on at the University of Nebraska, which has this big acronym WMD attached to it, which is a term I really hate, but it's there, weapons of mass destruction that's tied to it. We have a role to play in that, a big role to play in that relative to the biological side of that piece. We continue to hear from NSRI. As I've listened to this discussion over the last nine months, we continue to hear from them that a key part 
of what the Defense Department is interested in is stabilization of agriculture and food systems in various parts of the world that they are considering as unstable. That's one of the big challenges the Department of Defense is concerned about. Not the Department of Agriculture, but the Department of Defense. So tying into these institutes and, and working very effectively with them in the next five years as they go to their next level, if you will, will be a key element for us. Tying the system together, We've, you've all heard our new president talk about tying the University of Nebraska system more tightly together. I think he's got a lot of good thought in that, in that way that we'll, we'll have to change and be more a part of from the university uh, moving forward. How we tie to UNMC in the life sciences. Folks, I will tell you, I know this is on tape, but I'm gonna say it anyway. We would not be in the position of not being in the AAU if we weren't set up the way we are set up today between UNMC and UNL. That would not have been an issue for us. So figuring out a way for these two campuses to do more of this is critically important as we move forward. We've got a lot of good starts on that, in, including NINR, some significant good starts on that. But we have to do more. Uh, UNN, UNO and UNMC, in particular in engineering and NSRI that I've just talked about, and then uh, obviously BSE from our perspective in engineering, and then UNK. We often dismiss UNK as not relevant to us, but I would wager to you that they are relevant to us. We should be thinking about two plus two programs with UNK. And UNK is very interested in talking to UNL about two plus two programs. How do we put engineering together between those two campuses? Oh, by the way, how do we put ag and natural resources together between those two campuses? Because there is an opportunity there uh, that we haven't explored fully, but we need to think about um, how we might do that. Um, I, I had the gut function highlighted there. You'll, you'll understand why uh, here in the next few slides. Global engagement. This is a reiteration, if you will, of the slide I showed you earlier. On this case, the external side. The next slide will be on the internal side. But it's got some metrics in here relative to what we've already started. So we have a new program in food science, three plus one program, where three years of that program is delivered at Northwest Ag and Forestry University in China our major partner there. The last year is here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln for a four-year joint degree from the two institutions in food science. This is the first year cohort of those students. There are 61 students, I believe, engaged and enrolled in that program, where we'll, three years from now, we'll see those students come to Lincoln. Our faculty will teach the third year of that program on site in Yangling at Northwest Ag and Forestry University. So it's a shared, two and two, if you will, delivered program, and it uses the same curriculum. Our curriculum is being used uh, in, in delivering that. I think we need at least two more of those kinds of programs out there in the Institute. Not necessarily in food science, but we need at least two more joint degree programs that I think we should develop in the next five years. The Rwandan program, first semester, finished successfully last fall. We had our first seven students enrolled in that program. We are now in the process of recruiting the next cohort of students where we expect to admit 50 of those students to come in the fall. And Josh Davis told me the other day, a couple of days ago last week, that they have over 500 applications for that program. 
So it tells you a little bit about something about the need for and demand for that program, fully funded by a private foundation, fully funding and paying for the full cost of education for these students for a full four-year degree in applied ag science. So a total of 200 students, we expect to matriculate through that program in the next uh, four years, the next five years of time. Very excited about that. And expansion of that into the graduate program that is another plank of that on a much smaller scale, but still tied to that, that effort. Robust research partnerships in countries where we have started these already. I, I have the University of Sao Paulo at El Saque in Brazil uh, shown as one of those here in the slide where we have the nascent starts of those. Now we need to fully develop them and make them come off the ground, if you will. Uh, routine culture of this comprehensive approach to global engagement. Um, and, and then the last one down here is the one I draw, draw your attention to that is tied to enrollment, where we should be doubling our international enrollment. That goal is not going to be hard to meet when you add the number of students in these partnership degree programs and the undergraduate side, we're already there largely. So that goal might ought to be four instead of two, but it's a doubling of the international enrollment and, and I would add to that a tripling of our study abroad efforts. The number of students who end up having matriculated with a full study abroad experience out of our college. Completing infrastructure, campus facilities, this is the list at the top that is already underway in some way, shape, or form, either under construction or about to go to construction. The, the one that's about two-thirds of the way down, the NCTA Men's Dormitory is a renovation that we're hopeful to be able to do in the next year. And then there are a couple of new ones on here that have, and these are campus developments. I'll talk about off-campus here in a moment. But on campus at UNL, the Ruth Staples facility that you're all familiar with here on East Campus, uh, CEHS is looking hard at how to develop the next generation of that facility at perhaps a different location on campus than it's located currently. So early thinking, if you will, about how to do that and build a new facility for that important program tied to a nature learning classroom that's been a part of an interest to the School of Natural Resources for some time. And you can think about the juxtaposition, if you will, of facility to Harden Hall and how that might tie together. So that's, that's a rel relatively new development. And then we're thinking a lot about greenhouse capacity. Sure, we have two nice, gee whiz, bang, big, fancy greenhouses at Innovation Campus, but we have a whole row of greenhouses here on this campus that are probably needing work and needing support developed to them. So that will be a big part of what we think about in this next five years. The legislative session, the unicameral of the legislature, usually I talk about them a lot in this, this presentation. I'm not doing that uh, today necessarily except for this slide because our big emphasis in the unicameral this session, short session, 60 days, that they have between now and mid-March to do all of their business, non-budget setting year. We are approaching them with a capital needs request by the University of Nebraska system. It's, it's summarized here on this slide. I've highlighted the UNL portion of that and the facilities that are targeted at UNL as part of that. A lot of you will be familiar with the term LB605, which was the last legislation 
that enabled us to do deferred maintenance and to address projects like we did with Kime Hall, you'll remember a number of years ago, like we did with the HVAC system in animal science, uh, Larry Berger several years ago. So funds that the state set us, sets aside, you know, they had been setting aside $11 million a year for that uh, deferred maintenance initiative across the university, and the university had been contributing $11 million a year. So $22 million that were, was put against bond financing for capital renovation and renewal projects. This proposal would double that commitment. So the university would now be putting in $22 million a year, and the state would be putting in $22 million a year out over the decade ahead to give us a total of about $400 million in bond proceeds to work with against uh, new renovations. The downside of that, while it's not a big percentage of our base budget from the, from the state, you can see that it's less than 2% of our base budget, the downside is that it would require the university to raise tuition. And that's the, that's the other side of the sword, if you will or the equation here. So it goes forward with a 1% increase in tuition for each of the next four years in order to fund that additional uh, university investment into these facilities. That's the list. The top two are the engineering complex downtown on city campus. The food industry facility is that first floor of the food industry complex, former pilot plants for a classroom center. Uh, we feel very strongly that that will be funded. Mabel Lee and Henslick calls on city campus the home of CHS uh, has long been slated for renovation. Uh, Marjorie just is, is anxious to see what they're going to do with the swimming pool in that facility. The CBA facility is the old CBA building. We obviously are building a new CBA building on campus. The existing College of Business Administration would be converted in portion to instructional needs for the campus, in particular on the first floor of that building and some funds for that. Manor Hall, some additional funding for Manor and Hamilton Halls as well. So uh, we're excited about that. This is obviously a difficult budget climate that we're in. You've probably read the newspapers that talk about tax receipts being down, uh, a pretty challenging ag economy in the state currently over the short term, certainly ahead. So we'll have to see what the legislature does with this request, but it's been received very favorably so far by both the governor and the appropriations committees. Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center, I mentioned earlier last fall about this and about the process that we're going through there to, to focus on having a research and extension center for the eastern third of Nebraska that would be headquartered at the Ag Research and Development Center at Mead told you about Don Adams taking on that leadership role in a transition that he did effective November 1st this past fall and the conversations that are now being held to be able to move that forward and operationalize that concept we believe by July of this year. So this is the timeline that that is on. Uh, it's already kicked off with a meeting later this week. You'll see uh, that at the top with heads and chairs to develop the steering committee for this and hopefully to be at a point where we are in an operational mode for this new structure for Eastern Nebraska, uh, July 1st of this year. Innovation Campus, you know, we have some facility to fill there yet in the existing footprint. So some opportunities for additional 
partnerships that I've already mentioned to you we're developing. And then in the next five years, we certainly would expect to build out about 240,000 square feet of additional space. And the next 80,000 square feet of that space is already designed and is being discussed about moving into that design. You just north of the Greenhouse Center, uh, as you look at that complex currently, uh, hopefully tomorrow night when you're out for the Hearman Lecture. This is developing very nicely and I tried to design it in a way that would reflect to you the opportunity that we're seeing build. The Foundation for Food and Ag Research is a new entity stood up by the Farm Bill and the previous Farm Bill with $300 million of federal money that went into this foundation where the foundation is run externally from USDA. I mentioned Sally Rocky who is the new executive director of that group. Uh, operated with a board, an appointed board of 15 people that have been assigned to that board by the federal government to fund public-private partnership research in the ag and food space, where this is required one-to-one -one match kind of public-private partnership. It's not the kind of thing where we often write a grant proposal and we have in-kind funding that we bring to that match. This is cash match funding. So when there is a, an RFA that will come out of the Foundation for Food and Ag Research, and if that RFA is $25 million, that will be real money, where 12 of that will have come from, 12 and a half of that would have come from the mandatory funding in the Food, uh, uh, food and Ag Research Foundation. The other 12 and a half would come from a partner that would be funding that effort. They have started their discussions in earnest about how they plan to opera operationalize that funding. And their big issues right up front are soil health and water. Those are the two areas that they are talking about most consistently, and they have engaged us in those discussions. Roberto Linton is the Water for Food Institute director, was part of that discussion, where they, he was invited to be at that roundtable discussing priorities on, on water. So that, that opportunity with, with that foundation is going to be, we think, significant, and we think it will be significant for Innovation Campus. The Food for Health initiative, that icon that you see on the left, is the University of Nebraska. So that's this new system-wide emphasis that is being placed on how we fund holistically work in food for health across the university system. And some of you were part of that first workshop this past fall that was held to discuss that, being driven by Provost Fritz's office in Werner Hall. Um, and in the food factory of the future icon on the right is being driven out of the College of Engineering here at UNL and looking at how we tie to that Food Innovation Center to re-engineer food manufacturing, if you will, above and beyond the Alliance for Advanced Food Sanitation that we talked about. Some 51 companies who now are engaged in that discussion with us, where FFAR, the foundation here may be part of that, but even more importantly, the Department of Commerce is very interested in these kinds of innovation institutes where we're headed really with that discussion, if you will, um, on the engineering side. So I don't, I don't know, you might call this cheesy, but this is kind of the way I think about it, is there is no reason that Nebraska Innovation Campus shouldn't be the Silicon Valley for this. I know that sounds like a long way from where we are today, but that's the vision we should have. 
we should be thinking about Innovation Campus being the Silicon Valley for food, fuel, and water and attracting those kinds of relationships that are there. And I hope we'll see that happen, that we'll see that, that synergy begin to happen. Um, don't, don't fall out of your chair, Craig, uh, as the new guy in the room here, but I believe we should raise $200 million in the next five years. We raised $140 million in a campaign that was well designed by the University Foundation. I think we should raise $200 million in the next five years, and I think we'll see that happen to support our INR programs. A lot of that will be building money. I'll just be real candid with you. It'll be built around infrastructure and buildings to support our efforts. We should increase our total rolled up budget of the Institute by $100 million. That sounds like a big goal, but organically that will happen somewhat on its own. It will happen somewhat based on the research growth that we talked about earlier. It will happen somewhat on the enrollment growth we talked about earlier, and it'll happen somewhat on the philanthropy and public-private partnership arena that I talked about earlier. So these things are additive, and they add to that base, and I expect we will see that happen as well. Those allocation of new resources, though, are going to be a little different than they've been in the past five years. This is my crystal ball. We've invested in people the last five years. We've invested largely in people and faculty, tenure track faculty in the last five years. The next five years, we're going to need to invest heavily in our staff. We're going to need to assure that we have our, our staff optimized to meet the needs that are out there for us long-term. We've just begun to look at that, to be real, to be real honest. We've, we haven't studied that at the level that we need to unit by unit to know what our staff needs need to be moving forward. And we're going to have to figure out a way to invest more in graduate students. Invest more in the needs to support graduate students than the traditional model of going out and finding external dollars before you bring a student. We've got to have some level of base support that is greater around what we do than just relying on all of it to be external to support those increased numbers of graduate students that are there, both on the research side and on the teaching side uh, as well. We will continue to have added infrastructure growth. I've already mentioned some of that to you, what's out there ahead of us in the next five years to get that to where it needs to be overall. And I think I mentioned to you in the past that there are additional gifts that we expect to be coming to the Institute, some of which may occur in this five-year period that will add infrastructure to us as well and add capacity for us out uh, across the state. We can't, we can't just talk a global engagement walk, we also have to fund a global engagement walk. Because this doesn't come free. And so in order to do the kinds of things that I laid out to you on the global engagement side, there's going to need to be some dedicated resources that come out of that growth in budget, if you will, that will help to fund some of those efforts. I mentioned staff. Uh, you've, you've heard me talk about in the last couple of all-hands meetings the INSPIRE program and the HR management program that our staff and business and personnel and finance have put together and are launching. The next phase of that is annual evaluations to change the annual evaluation process, if you will, for our staff and to make that a part of our culture as we move forward. So they're in the process of doing that um, and I look forward to, to seeing that happen. Now, I'm going to make a couple of closing comments here. 
One of the things that you have to be real careful of in any organization is to understand how you got where you are, what the leaders that came before you did and how that happened. And we've been very successful to have some really great leaders of this institution. Here's a map of East Campus in the late 1800s. There's your master plan, the most recent one of East Campus for the years out ahead. So at the campus level, we've had some very good leadership. We have to think about sustaining that leadership. We have to think about who those people are going to be in the future and how we develop those people in the future and thinking about where they're going to be. The next five years, we're going to see some change in leadership, undoubtedly. I can't tell you what all of that will be. I can't tell you who those people will be. I know who a couple of them are going to be just because of their plans and where they, they are themselves. But there's a, there's a succession chain here that we need to think very carefully about and have the right leaders in place all the way down into the centers and the institutes and the departments long term for us to be successful. So we need to pay attention to that as we move forward to, so we can continue that building uh, to happen to build on what we, we uh, have laid out before us. And I, I'm gonna close with this slide. Um, some of you will recognize you know, this sculpture, it's called The Thinker, for obvious reasons. It's been copied all over the world. You see it in lots of different places and plazas in the world. There's some, you know, there's some big thinking we have to do too, and we have to ask ourselves the questions as we keep going forward. It's really easy, let me see if I can phrase it this way for you. It's really easy to get locked into your step. Everybody know what I mean by that? You get your head down, you get locked into your step, and you just march down the road and you hope that everything's going to stay right in that road. And it's easy to put the blinders on and not see what's on the sides of the road. And we, we can't do that. We have to continue thinking about the world that's changing around us. We have to continue thinking about how the plans we have fit or don't fit. You know, and so there's things like, are we in all of the areas that we need to be? Focus is important, but are we in all of the areas we need to be in? You know, uh, should we be doing more outside of mainstream and conventional agriculture? It's a, good, it's a valid question. Should we be doing more in local food production? Should we be doing more in the environmental sciences? Those are valid questions that we need to continue asking ourselves as we go down this, this road. And so we gotta keep our thinking cap on, if you will, and, and not get locked into thinking it just will be exactly this way as we move forward. One of the things that has, this is a really controversial one, especially when I get ready to talk to the ag builders of Nebraska on Wednesday, but one of the things that has puzzled me for a long time is this acronym IANR. And I feel very deeply about that acronym. I think you all know that. But that acronym is not a very inclusive one. If you think about what that acronym spells, it spells the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources. It does not talk about human sciences. It does not talk about environmental sciences, directly, at least. So this, you know, that's a big thought. I sit and scratch my head all the time. I'll sit, I'll sit on a plane like I did the other day and I'll try to come up with another acronym <laughs> that hopefully will form some word. But you know, those, those are things that we need to keep our thinking cap on about. Uh, does, does our name reflect who we are? 
our name is very precious to a lot of people, including me. It's very precious to a lot of people, but that's a, a valid question we need to put in our thinking cap and scratch our head a little bit about. We need to scratch our head a little bit about over the next five years of, you know, we have one college academically, the College of Ag Sciences and Natural Resources. And we have a partner college in research and graduate education and extension in the College of Education and Human Sciences. And we have some partnership here in this particular way and another partnership here in this other particular way with maybe a College of Arts and Sciences or maybe a College of Engineering or you fill in the blank, you, you get the idea. Kind of more one-on-one -on -one smaller partnerships. But is that really the right way to think about moving every area forward? You know, I've, I've scratched my head and thought about, should we have a College of Environmental Sciences at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln? It's a valid question. It's often raised to me, my, my colleagues in the School of Natural Resources, and some of them are grinning, looking at me when I say that, but it's often raised as a question. I don't know the answer to that perfectly today where I sit, but we need to continue thinking about those kinds of questions and whether we're structured right, whether, we, whether we're going down the right road. So that's the, the meaning of the thinker here is that we can't not continue to scratch our heads. We can't just think the, the number is already decided or the, the goal is already decided and we've got that locked in and we can't continue thinking about what we need to bring to the table. So. Um, with that, I'll close with where I started, that the goal that we started out with in 2011, 11 all-hands meetings ago, may not have been stated exactly this way, but that's the goal, is to be the very best public university that we can possibly be in the world in serving the needs of, of food, agriculture, natural resources, environment, and rural and human securities. So those are big words and it's a big mission and I think we've accomplished a lot in getting there. I look forward to the next five years and what we're going to see accomplished as we move forward and I'll just close with saying what will they say whoever is sitting in the room, probably won't be me, but what will they say in 2021 about where we got to in INR uh, you know, five years from now, what will they say in that all-hands meeting? I, I think it's going to be a pretty cool story. So I'll close with that and see if there are questions that you might have or dialogue we might want to have. Um, I almost made it. Jill, you won. <laughs> So I know we can take questions online, and Jill's following that online, but here in the audience as well. So any, uh, any question you'd like to ask or comment you'd like to make or feedback you'd like to provide. Oh, come on. Surely. Yep, Paul. Uh, I applaud the idea of pursuit of more graduate student support. We build, we build on our reputations, many of us, on what our grad students have done. They've lifted us up and make that really, it will be an important component of the big picture you've just described. So Paul, Paul Reed's comment, some of you may not have heard the first part of it, was around the graduate student plank that I talked about, the importance of that. 
um, building that in the future. And, it, and I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify that. It's easy to say we just need more money and we need to figure out a way to support um, graduate students and we need to have more central resources to put into that pool to support graduate students. It's, it's not a simple solution. It's not one answer to that. External funds are important. I didn't mean to say they weren't earlier. They're, they are a big part of that. But there are all kinds of different external funds. And we're seeing those external funds diversify more at the moment than we've seen them diversify in the past. Where they're coming from, what they're interested in supporting because these challenges are changing that are out there. Um, it's not just USDA anymore. You know, it's much broader than that at the federal level. It's much broader than that at the industry level. It's much broader than that at the private level. And then we do have to figure out something at the University of Nebraska about central. We do have to figure out how we put more of our central resources into those pools to seed and support some of those areas as well. So far, we've done it mostly with private money. You know, so where you've seen graduate student growth happen, you know, I'll use the plant sciences as an example, private industry support with foundation support that's allowed us to support graduate students that we weren't able to support before. So it's been private money. We've got to figure out how we use some of our additional funds, you know, public monies, to go into that as well. That was my point at the end about you know, allocating those new resources as they do become available, you know, where those directionally will, will need to make those hard decisions as we move forward. Yeah, Mike. How do you coordinate the infrastructure and resources that need, are needed to support the growth? I'm talking offices, laboratories, yeah. research and teaching, classroom yeah. space, and student living quarters. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I don't don't mean to put the fear of uh, fear into you, but I spend a lot of time in meetings now thinking about next fall at the campus level. And really good news, the really good news is we are significantly up in admits, we are significantly up in deposits, and if all tracks according to what we expect it to, you know, based on where we are this time this year, we'll be up four to 500 freshman students next fall. Campus-wide. Now, there's a lot of time between now and April but nonetheless, we're going to be up in our enrollment next fall in a significant way. We have a problem with that because dormitory-wise and student housing-wise, we have a capacity issue there. So Cather and Pound, right? We've talked about Cather and Pound are going to be demolished for the last number of X years. There's now a new dining facility being built north of the new dormitories there on 17th Street that will replace the Cather Pound dining facility. The idea was those would come down in 2017. We may not be able to do that. We may actually need those facilities, which is a really good problem to have. But that's one example, Mike, about how we've got to think out ahead of this capacity. Right now, we're thinking about instructional needs for fall of next fall of where we see this increased growth in freshman students coming to and how are we going to fund those new instructional needs. I will say it, I've said it publicly, I've said it to my boss, you know, we've got to think differently about the revenue model on tuition at the University of Nebraska. We do. 
we got to think about that differently. Now, whether my next boss will figure that out or not, I don't know. But there, we've got to think differently about that because more of those funds have got to be put back into the instructional base in the growth piece, at least, where we grow that student population. So there's a lot of big thinking there. We've been able to, I guess, uh, fortunately manage our growth in, now I'm talking about INR specifically, over the last five years because of Innovation Campus. Be very candid about it. You know, the opportunity to move food science, that wasn't the reason we did it. We didn't move food science because we needed to free up East Campus. We moved them there because of the reasons we wanted them there in partnerships. But that result saved us on, you know, a capacity on the campus in the short term. So as, you know, we're, we're actually bumped up right against the, the limit, if you will, when we finish this hiring process. We're building a 382 student dormitory. I thought a lot over the weekend about whether that's enough. You know, that's a little bit hard to imagine. You know, we worked really hard to actually get one and get this new dormitory. Didn't think we would. You know, if I, right, Steve, you tell me that you thought, you know, you'd, you'd uh, I won't tell you, tell them what you said you'd do if it dormitory happened. But, 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 you know, it's hard to believe that there's a crane building that dormitory and we gotta be thinking about maybe, is that enough? Do we have those right resources? In, in, but with that said, it has to be in relation to all the building that's going on in Lincoln. And it's not a, you know, a simple question. A lot of building on, off the campus as well. So, just some thoughts. Yeah, Jim. In, in regards to the uh, increase in graduate enrollment, you're, you're probably, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware that there's this uh, concern nationally about are we training too many PhDs, at least PhDs to go off and become academics, where that market's obviously uh, cannot accommodate all these. And so there is thought about maybe we should uh, train people a little bit differently yep. so they have other options. I don't know whether that plays into your thoughts well, at all. Well, I, I, I got this problem with double hats, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on INR here um, you know, for this audience. I don't see that as a big issue on the INR side. Because on the, the INR side, I think there is a need for pulling forward those people with masters and PhD degrees that is academic and non-academic. There's a big pull there for those kinds of, of people in their training. At a more general level, like you point out, at a more general level in the debate about higher ed and graduate education and number of doctoral candidates that are coming out, there are certainly areas that are big concerns there. Um, now, we, we might touch a couple of those, but I don't think that's the core of where we are. We're more in a deficit area, it's my personal belief, than we are in a surplus area for any time to come. Um, that becomes a problem when you think about it at the aggregate campus level, though. How you prioritize and strategically think about where that graduate student growth needs to be and how you, how you do that. Does that make sense, Jim? Yeah, you had another thought, I can tell. Right. 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 To a certain extent, we tend not to be, at least some of us. 
Right, right. We think that you're training the, the replacement of the academy, so to speak. Yeah. Other comments? Jill, you didn't have anything online? Okay, well, thank you very, very much. You've been attentive as always. I'm, I'm, I got it down to one hour and 15 minutes. Spring, I'll get it down to one hour. So thank you very much.